attention architects, and creative minds. Get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. All right, Entree Architect community, it's time for context and clarity. The reason that I come to you every day is so that we can find clarity around the things that matter most to you, the architect. And it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm. Maybe you dream of starting your own firm. Maybe you even said 2021 is my year and you're on the runway to starting your own firm. Maybe you've had a firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years and you're starting to rethink, reimagine what your firm could or should be. All of the topics that we cover, one topic every day, fall under the broad umbrella of the business of architecture, and they are the need-to-know topics for the success of architects just like you. It's time for Context and Clarity Live. It's Thursday, so we've got a live version that simulcasts not only within the Entree Architect Community Facebook group, but also to LinkedIn, to the Entree Architect YouTube channel, and for all of those architects out there, I know we've got a huge following now on Twitch. Huge. Huge following. Okay. I think think it's up to one. So for everybody. It was three last week, so I was just wondering how much it's grown. Everybody that is uh, is live wherever you are, and that's one of the points of this context and clarity format that we do every Thursday afternoon. Not only are we trying to explore the most popular topics within the Entree Architect community, within the Entree Architect world, but we're also trying to meet everyone where they are. Um, and so we're simulcasting out to you on all of those platforms. I see a lot of people coming in now. That's great to see up in the upper left-hand corner. Uh, looks like we do have a problem with our uh, with our 
comments. Let me try something real quick here. See if I can fix that. Does it come back? Are they going to come back? It says that they will display there. So here's All right, hope. we'll see what happens here. We'll see what happens. Um, so uh, one rule, if we do get the comments working here, um, as you know, if you've been with us in the past, there's a little bit of a challenge on the Facebook side. Very good. They seem to be coming up now. There's a little bit of a challenge on the Facebook side where because you are in a private group, we can't see your names. We don't know who you are. So if you would identify yourself by name or initials or something like that, just to help us keep track. Everybody else that's on YouTube, that's on LinkedIn, even on Twitch, we should be able to see your names. Although I guess a word of warning, if your uh, Google handle, if your YouTube handle is uh, HoundDog2364, that's what we're going to see. And that's what we're going to call you too. So I uh, just want want to be sure that you are aware of that. So again, welcome. Thank you for joining us. This is the Entree Architect Context and Clarity Live session for, what is this, Thursday, February 11th. Catherine, I think we've got a great show today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation with our guests today. So am I. How are you? I'm great. How are you, Jeff? I'm okay. I'm okay. Looks We've figured a few things out here in the very last second, so I think we're good to go. I think we're rolling all right. I see see a lot of familiar names and faces coming in. I know that's Jay, Jay Caroli from the Sticks of Vermont. I, I'll always recognize that, mm-hmm. that uh, greeting there. So great to see some some friends. See some of you over on uh, YouTube as well. See Evgenia and Rod from Monroe, Louisiana. Rod's first in from Monroe. Great to see you over there, Rod. And uh, anybody else, if you're out there, I see Barry Reed over there. Welcome back, Barry. Good evening to you over there in Scotland. Thanks for joining us on the LinkedIn side. Um, Anybody else, if you're out there, especially if you're on Twitch, again, we know we have this huge following, this huge architect following on Twitch. If you're on Twitch, say hi. Let us know that you're over there. Uh, Yes, I am being completely facetious. Um, I do think we have one follower, but um, we'll see. We'll, we'll grow an audience over there. If you've never joined one of these conversations before, the reason that we do this, and uh, if you're not familiar with it, this is a daily it's a daily program inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. On Thursdays, we break outside the walls. And like I said earlier, meet you where you are. Uh, but we do this every day at 4 p.m. Eastern to find clarity around the topics that matter most to architects, and these are all the need-to-know topics, Um, no matter what your context is. You might be the employee of a firm. You may be dreaming of starting your own firm. Um, You may have even circled the date on the calendar, and you may have said, 2021's my year, and you're on the runway to starting your own thing, or you may have had a firm for a year or 10 years or 20 years. Whatever your context is, all of these are the need-to-know topics for your success. And what we want to do on Thursdays on these special simulcast versions on Thursday is to dig into the most popular topics. We've kind of had a theme this week of, um, I don't know, Catherine, I think I'd say early career. We we covered startup, licensure. Yeah. Yeah taking the ARE or, or whatever it's called, wherever in the world you are, whatever your licensing exam is called. Mm-hmm. And so today, I think we ought to talk about, and I think this meshes very well with our guest today. 
It's almost like that was by design. Um, but today we'll think about your first year in business. Now, as usual, um, you know, maybe, maybe you have no aspiration of owning your own firm. Catherine and I have talked about this before, right? This is a question right. you asked the other day. Yes. What, what, what was your question the other day? Oh, I, I just questioned whether that was something that everybody needs to do, start their yeah. own firm. Yeah, that's so, a good question. Yeah. And, and we can explore that today. Um, and, and one thought that I have on that before, you know, I'll, I'll forget about it here in a fleeting minute. So um, one thought that I have about that is that um, even if you, even if you have no aspirations, right, even if you're, uh, you know, you don't want to own your own firm, I still think it's really important to understand what your employer went through in their first year that is true. In, in business. So, um, so I, I, again, no matter what your context is, that's the reason for the, the title of the show, Context and Clarity. No matter what your context is, hopefully, again, whether you have no aspiration, whether you're on the runway, whether you've been there for a while, um, I think this conversation can be completely applicable to everybody. And so, as usual, what, we're, what we'll be looking for is your war stories your experiences, your advice, and especially your questions. Um, I say this a lot when we when we have the daily show inside the Entre Architect Community Facebook group. Don't be afraid to ask questions because your questions are what drive the conversations deeper. And we'll do our best. Obviously, it's a different format today on Thursday. We'll, we've got uh, Ryan Willard with us. Sorry, I spilled the beans there. Uh, we'll introduce Ryan here in just a minute. <laughs> he's, he's in the green room, fist pumping. He's right, ready to yeah. go. Yeah, um, we're gonna we're gonna let him out here in a minute. Um, but we'll we'll do our best to get your questions and your comments into this conversation with uh, Ryan as well, because we want to make this as engaging an hour as possible. So, real quick before we bring Ryan on and introduce him. A question for everybody in the audience. Who was with us last week? Did you join us last week? <laughs> Catherine. Yeah, Catherine. Catherine. Welcome back, Catherine. Um, <laughs> who joined us for the uh, conversation with Evan Troxel last week? Just put that in the comments section if you did. There you go. Brian McCartney. Well, hey, Brian, you're on uh, YouTube today. Excellent. Very good. Mark LePage. Hi, Ryan. Hi, hi Mark. Welcome you know, back. Jeff, I just realized something. It's not all about me, but I just realized it's 25 years ago, maybe this week, that I started my own firm. Oh, that's great. Happy anniversary. Years. Thank you. That means I'm not going to be able to remember anything about the first year. But. Oh, you can remember something. There's going to be something. Yeah. yeah. All right. Easy. Let me bring Ryan on. And as Ryan is coming on to join us, there he is. Hi, Ryan. Hello. Hello. Welcome. Good to be here. <laughs> Thank you for joining us, and, and thank you for staying up late. We know that my, um, my working in the Eastern time zone is not necessarily ideal for everyone, so we really appreciate you. No, that's my, my pleasure. Most of my most of my days seem to be synced up with the U.S. these days. Okay. All often, right. often talking to people all across the U.S., which is great. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, and just so you know, 
one of the things, and, and I don't want to speak for Catherine on this point, but one of the things I really enjoy about this community that we've built within the context and clarity conversations is that it's truly worldwide. Almost every yeah. day this week, we've had uh, participants from the East Coast to the West Coast of the U.S. over in the U.K., down in Africa, uh, Ghana, Nigeria, uh, Philippines, all the way around to the Philippines and uh, also the U.K. or not Amazing. the U.K., but um, Australia. And every once in a while, New Zealand as well. So, um, so I love the global perspective, which is a good point for anybody that's joining us. If you're outside of the U.S., don't don't be hesitant because we do want to get the perspective of everybody. It helps it helps everybody to understand what's what it's like wherever you are in the world. So it's true. That's um, true. I mean, it's, 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 it's interesting. We're talking about that, that the global community and I've had the sort of privilege, if you like, to be able to speak with architects in places like Ethiopia, in Trinidad, in South Africa, in India, in Australia, the UK, right across the US, like in the middle of the US, in the center, Texas, Arkansas, right out to the East Coast, West Coast. And the, the things that architects are facing, by and large, are very similar all over the world. There's you know, the sim- very similar problems, similar constraints, similar industry-wide issues, similar complaints. Um, That's true. I've noticed that there are similar <laughs> it's a It's you know, a global community. Yeah, it, it truly is. And and I think, you know, my my one of my mistakes yesterday when we were talking about registration exams was of course I, I kept kept mentioning the, the ARE is is what it's called in the United States. Yeah. And um of course others others chimed in and said, you know, our registration is like this. And I made this assumption that everybody had a had a professional registration exam and we we had a couple of of uh, listeners or, or participants in the audience that said, we don't, we don't have a test, right? We don't have an exam. And so, um, so I always want to leave that door open again, my, my, unfortunately my bubble, my uh, perspective many times is firmly rooted in the center of the United States where I live in Indianapolis. So, um, so if it's different, wherever you are, uh, make sure you speak up and, and let us know that. But um, can I say, um, Leslie, yes, wanted to have, have similar joys as well, not just complaints. Just absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> That's a very good point. Thank you for for bringing us back around to that. That's a good point because we do need to celebrate. Yes, remember the, yeah. 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 The and, and, you know, when you're in your 25 years, you need to celebrate. So that's good. Wait, well, yes. I'll do that later tonight. Okay. All right. well, you, the- I, you know what's in talking about architects around the world, um, every single architect is somewhere. Sometimes it's covered in a lot of muck, but when you scratch beneath the surface, there's always an optimist. There's yeah. always there's always somebody there who wants to positively contribute to society, to humanity, to making the world a better place. There's always always somebody there who's got a, a heart filled open to contribute. That's what I really, really love about the profession as a whole. That is actually very true, Ryan. That's very true. Yeah, I, I think that's a that's a great point. I my imagine when I imagine 
what other architects are like, you know, what architects around the world and wherever are like, because so many talk about being problem solvers or the ultimate problem solvers. There's got to be this eternal sense of optimism in the profession. I would think you're always trying to make something better, whatever that, that thing is. Yeah. Well, let me take this minute before we get too deep into this to actually introduce Ryan Willard um, because he is our, our special guest today. Many of you know him because he has a very popular podcast called The Business of Architecture UK. And um, I've had the pleasure of being interviewed by Ryan. And, I, and I, Ryan is a fantastic interviewer. I really enjoyed our conversation when, when I had the pleasure of being on his show. Um, but Ryan has, I, I know it's more by now because I understand publishing schedules, but uh, he's interviewed over 120 guests for the different episodes. He's also an architect, London-based, if I'm not mistaken. And um, his the name of his firm is the Thinking Hand Studio, which is interesting to me as well. Maybe we can dig into the uh, origin of that name. But, um, you know, tying this back to the topic of the day and sort of our theme for this week, really, you know, like I said earlier, um, we've really been talking about early career, both in licensure, pursuit of licensure, uh, preparing for your licensing test if you have one. Um, on Monday, we talked about startup situations, so tips for people just getting ready or just getting started. And so we thought today we would take it um, a few months further, you know, further along the timeline mm. and say, you know, what do you need to know when you're in your first year? Because that's a critical, it's a critical time. It's a critical first year. So uh, again, I'm, I'm really interested in this conversation with Ryan because we want to draw from his experience, from his knowledge, from what he's learned in all of these interviews. But then all of you that are out there on the different platforms on Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitch. Um, what are your questions? What do you remember about your first year? And for anybody that's been at it for a while, here, here's a challenge for you. Think about your first year. Think about the mistakes that you made. What can you share and save someone else from making those same mistakes? So that's, that's one way to look at it right now. And of course, maybe you're getting ready or maybe you're in your first year. What questions do you have? So with that, Ryan, where does the name The Thinking Hand Studio come from? I was going to ask that too because that's a really difficult thing to name your firm. Do you name it after yourself? Do you just name it something like what you did? So yeah, I'm interested. I, 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 um, I don't know whether it was a good name and it was one of these things that uh, I kind of I'd started my practice before I'd left my last job, which was at Roger Stark Harbors and Partners in the UK. And it was, I mean, I was, it was a toss up at the time. This is when I knew nothing about business or anything and didn't have really have too much thought about it. And it was a very me centric kind of idea, if you like. Um, and the, the, the name came from, the idea that there was a there was a phrase, the thinking hand, right? That as architects, we we think with our hands. Like sketching often right. has a world of its own, and that the hand can often solve an architectural solution before the brain has thought about it. It's a kind of embodied 
is an embodied thing. There's a book, um, The Thinking Hand by um, Johanny Palasma, which kind of sets out a, a, a philosophical approach to that as well. And I've always been a lover of drawing and sketching and, and writing and... Um, like that. <laughs> and I've always been a lover of of yeah of, of using my hands and the hands as well you know when I've told people the story about this the hands are all, all the way through the architectural process there's the sketching that's done by hand there's the communication right there's the talking for me there's this kind of subconscious communication that happens with our clients our hand is a symbol for that it's a symbol for creativity um and ultimately when our buildings get built and get and get made there's somebody using their hands to actually physically put things together so the hand has always been uh, a symbol of creativity and imagination and excitement and communication for me and it kind of represented in the idea this, that the hands have their own embodied thought and they solve things without us consciously thinking about them i kind of i love that i love that idea and that's where the the name came from and i also call, at the time i set my business up really as an escape like i was very disillusioned with the industry and i had a you know a wonderful job at roger stirk and Har- harbors it's a fantastic practice to work at and one of the best places you could you know hope to work at and they were a really wonderful practice and you know as a business i i talk about them all the time as an example of how to run a business well and their core values and their mission and how the business is set up like a charity and the ethos of it. But ultimately it was, I don't know, I didn't feel, it just didn't feel like it was clicking for me. I didn't feel like it was right. And I set the business up and I called it the thinking hand studio because I didn't necessarily want to be an architect. Mm. And I didn't, and I knew that if I call it the thinking hand studio, at least I don't have to, I'm not tied to being an architect. If I call it Willard Architects, then I'm going to be an architect. Now, I have a trading name called TTHS Architects, which is when I'm dealing with clients and stuff like that. And the Thinking Hand Studio was also a career move, if you like, to experiment and do something else. And I didn't really know what that other thing was. I just knew that there was a lot of things about architecture that I found distressing. (laughs) The, The pay, you know, I was kind of, you spent 10 years training and going for a pretty grueling training and, you know, and then you're working at this fantastic practice. And then it's like pretty hard to earn a living in a, in a, you know, big metropolitan city like London and lots of your friends who maybe didn't even have degrees are kind of like earning significantly more than you. And you're like, Oh, right. Okay. This is interesting. Um, But but the, the 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 ethos of the practice or the intention was a, was discovery mode, and it's that's part and parcel why I've you know kind of my career's taken this you know I'm so blessed I've got this, such an interesting varied career at the moment where you know I still practice as an architect I still have projects going on but the majority of my time is working as a consultant with business of architecture and I get to talk to lots of architects around about their businesses about marketing about strategy about vision um about finance and you know in my first year of practice one of the things I quickly learned was I you know there's a big gap in my education here there's a big gap in what I know about marketing and branding and and sales however it was a it was something that I was 
deeply attracted to and probably even more attracted to than I was architecture is and 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 when I look back on my the things that I was doing outside of my professional career you know I'd been in a band for nearly a decade and I'd been marketing and promoting and running evenings and you know getting and getting bands together and curating events and doing that kind of stuff I'd worked in sales jobs you know working as a um um, as a the polite word is a charity advocate, the derogatory term is a chugger, or a charity chug, a charity mugger. A chugger. Are, we don't have that are, around here. I don't know what that is. These are the guys that stand on the streets with a clipboard and they wave you down and they get you to oh, yeah. part part with your credit card okay. details and then you sign up for a charity for a year. Oh, but, okay, those are called uh, chuggers. I didn't know that. And I, I I did that for about a year in between. Right. In between them, um, were you still working as an architect at that time, and you had to do that chugging so, or whatever it would be to keep? Well, no. What 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 happened? It was in between my degree and my masters, and I went to Australia, and again, I'd done a year working as an architectural assistant, and I was kind of like, "Crikey, this is hard work." And I went to Australia thinking, I don't know what I was thinking. I was going to sell paintings or something. Right. And I quickly ran out of money in Australia and I had to get a job and I couldn't get because of the visa I was on. It was very difficult to get a job in an architecture practice. Mm. And I didn't know any local Australian building codes. And I was you know, very inexperienced. And, you know, there was this sales job that kept coming up. And I was like, this actually sounds like fun. And I went in, they gave you three days of, you know, kind of quite crude training if you like, and then they let you loose on the streets of Sydney. And mm. the idea was that you had to stop people in the street, get their attention, build enough rapport and trust with them um, for them to become enrolled in what the charity was about and then get them to commit to the job. Now, this was a hard job. Like, it had a seriously high turnover of people. People normally lasted the morning and they were like, I'm out of here. I don't want to do this again. Wow. But on the last day, I managed to, I talked to somebody and there was the connection there and they trusted me and then they, you know, they enrolled and they signed up for the charity and I was hooked and I got really into it and I started learning things about NLP and sales patterns and speech patterns and, and hypnosis and I didn't, I, again, I wasn't consciously learning it as sales but this was about 15 years ago, but I, it just planted the seed in my mind and I got interested in it ever since then. And for the next nine months or however long I was doing that job, I, I got quite proficient at it and I got quite good at being able to stop people in the street and go from a complete cold stranger to within 30 minutes having them, you know, sign up for the charity. And I was, you know, I became, I loved it. I became, I became quite good at it and met all sorts of interesting people on the streets i had some really wild experiences you know but it, but again in that that moment you know we're t we were talking about tiktok earlier and creating content it's the same thing right to sort of have a hook grab somebody's attention lure them in with a story be able to develop a relationship and then have some kind of call to action at the end of it mm. and it was all condensed into that little that little interaction um, and how to, you know, what what's involved in the human communication there to have people, again, just just trust you and hear your story. Like, how can you grab people's attention? I used to do really stupid things. Like, 
I would um, I would be walking down the street and you have your target market, right? And typically the boys signed up the girls and the girls signed up the boys. There was, you know, it was a lot of young 20-year-olds doing this doing this job. But I often would see see a see a young lady and I would go up to her and I would say, Miss, you are so incredibly beautiful. Like you have inspired me to high art. I need to can I just cap can I ca- can I capture your beauty for a moment? Like really cheesy. And she's looking at me like, what the hell? And I'm like, no, 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 please. I need to, I need to just, I, I feel like Michelangelo right now. And she's, she's, you, you keep your distance, right? And you keep, you know, you're respectful. Um, and then eventually, and eventually you turn around and you're like, would you like to see the work? And she's like, yeah. And you'd be like. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so for those of you who may not have the uh the video, uh Ryan just drew a uh a stick figure that would make a kindergartner blush. <laughs> yeah. and, well that's at least. I mean that's so it was obviously a, a, supposed to be a girl. So that was pretty good, Ryan. Wasn't that yeah, uh, I mean you know, often often that would that would work and you know, they would stop and they were like, Okay, what's your pitch? And, um, you know, you would, you'd get into a, you'd get into a conversation. And again, that whole, that whole selling process, if you like, of allowing the other person to pull the conversation towards them, to, to, to build trust and rapport all the way through, not taking yourself overly serious, serious with it, trying to find out for them, why would you want to, you know, why, you know, what's important to them? Like, why do you want to donate to a charity? And I worked for the Cancer Council in Australia and that it was fortunately or unfortunately, I mean, it was a charity where a lot of people were affected by it. So you'd end up having these extraordinary conversations with people about life-changing events and how they'd either recovered from cancer or how they were going through it or how they'd lost somebody. So there was this very deep therapeutic aspect to it where sometimes people didn't know or hadn't spoken to anybody before about it and they would kind of see you as a like a street therapist almost and so there was a lot of you know I had to be very considerate and caring about that my mum fortunately was she was a she was a bereavement counsellor and I would often spend a lot of time asking her questions like how can I be of service to these people and like actually ask interesting questions and be nurturing and you know it's not about making a sale here it's about understanding making that kind of emotional connection for them so when they when they see the money going out of their bank account they've got something meaningful behind it that's associated with it wow so really good at that ryan it sounds like you were probably their top on the street person i had my i certainly had my moments i certainly (laughs) had my fails and that's uh you know it's it's interesting I've never heard that story before, obviously. And so this idea of going from chugger to architect, I think, is is really intriguing. But the way that you're tying it all in, and I was, I was kind of, I glanced over and saw Leslie's comment about a, one of her first year lessons was that about ninety percent of the people she talked to wanted to be an architect but chose a different path. And so, starting with that story, almost always created trust and. And, and as you know, I mean, you're you're speaking my language. I love I love the storytelling. I love the branding. I love the marketing mm-hmm. aspect of it. If you were to take that experience as a chugger, 
Um, it's just <laughs> going to be my new favorite term now. Um, if you take that experience and you think about somebody that's just getting started, mm-hmm. of course, if you've been in business, if you've had your own firm for 10 years, you're, you're still doing marketing, business development. You're still going to be doing all those things. You're still chugging. You're still <laughs> chugging. But what, um, because it is in your first year, mm. is there a different, is there a different level of intensity or a different focus how do, how do you think it's different for someone in their first year than maybe someone in their 10th year or is or is there a difference well i think you know in the in the first year of practice there is this kind of there's a there's there's a hunger as well right there's a relentless hunger that comes when you first start your practice and again it really depends on how you've started your practice because there's so many different ways of starting practice i mean sure. i you know i jumped in and didn't really have a real plan and then it was sink or swim and there was that kind of you know I always had that mentality of like okay well if I have to I've got to get out on the street and stop people if I need to to find work right there was there was often that kind of attitude if I if I had to do it right and that kind of manifested itself in in networking and and I think as well in your first year you are there's so many new skills to be learning there's marketing there's understanding money there's you know, leadership, there's selling. Sometimes if you're making a leap from a large, big corporate practice, you're doing airports like I was, you know, and then museums, and then suddenly you're doing people's back extensions. So there's a whole technical curve that needs to be addressed in terms of your skill sets, because now you're working with, you know, with much smaller smaller projects, smaller budgets. You know, you don't have the, the glitz and the glamour of your office to lean back on. There isn't somebody there to immediately help you. There's there's so much stuff going on, but it's also a really magical time because it's that time as well to start asking yourself, well, what am I really good at? Like, where where's my forte? Where's my strength? You know, again, my my personal experience was was quickly like I you know I love people. That's the thing that's really important to me, and I was drawn to projects that were you know the projects that make the money, kind of doing people's back extensions, and then I would do a project that was to do with organizing a live event and you'd be designing something and doing the interiors for a live event. And it was bringing people together and you start realizing, okay, that's, I would never have done that if I was working for somebody else. And I don't really know what that project was about. And maybe I didn't make much money out of it, but I love it. And like, that was the kind of project that I fell in love with and it was easy for me to do. And I'm hungry to go and find more of it and do more of that kind of thing. And then there are other projects where you're like, Hmm. Do I want to be doing this? Is this is this what it's all about? So, it's there's it's so it's so interesting. Right, that's that to treat that first year. I think is important to see it as a discovery. And as I was saying, there's so many different ways of of how you've started. So I would I typically wouldn't recommend people just to jump in and you know start a practice and not have financial reserves. I think that's like the the most painful mistake that I went through and it took a long time to kind of figure it out. On the other hand, I'm very grateful that I went through that experience because it got me really interested in money and wealth and business. And it, it kind of fueled me to go and talk to people who were making millions. And perhaps when I was, you know, when I was, um, you know, when I was younger, I, I had a kind of, I don't know, like an attitude towards the wealthy or, you know, I only want to work for, 
you know, for social good and and et cetera, et cetera. And it, it, it changed my mind very deeply about wanting to understand how people had accumulated wealth and what a successful business was about. Um, and that, that got me interested in, you know, talking to many, many different types of business owners, not just architects. That, that's an interesting point, you know, and, and I'll remind everybody or welcome everybody. If you've joined us since the beginning of this conversation, uh, this is the Entree Architect Context and Clarity Live conversation for uh, Thursday, February 11th, 2021. My name is Jeff Eccles. My co-host is Catherine McPhail. And our special guest today is Ryan Willard. Uh, he's the host of the uh, Business of Architecture UK podcast. He's a London-based architect. And we're talking about uh, his story, his experience, and then looking for ways to uh, help people in their first year of starting and running their own firm. And so we're, we're looking for anybody's advice. So we see you out there on Facebook and on LinkedIn and on YouTube and, and all of you uh, architects out there on Twitch. Um, keep sharing your advice and, and, and your questions as well. We want to try to wrap some of that into our conversation here. Uh, but Ryan, you mentioned a minute ago um, this idea of of basically having a little bit of financial stability before you get started, which I, I'm in complete agreement with. If you can, if you can do that, you do that. Although we do know, that, you know, here here we are in history. Uh, I haven't looked at the unemployment numbers in the United States for a little while, but at one point during this whole global pandemic, unemployment was huge. So um, there were, while there were people starting firms because that was their plan. There are also people starting firms out of necessity just for survival. And, and I, you know, I totally get that. And every once in a while I'll hear someone that says, you know, you just got to get started, right? You just got to jump in because if you don't, you'll never do it, that kind of thing. And um, I, I hear comments like that, suggestions like that. I think I completely understand where that's coming from. And I don't necessarily disagree with it, but I don't think a lot of people are built to, um, to respond properly in that way. You know, I I think if a lot of people said, you know what, great, Jeff, I'm just going to jump in. I'm going to do it today. I think they ultimately would be overwhelmed and fail um, the whole sink or swim. I think they would sink a lot of people. There are definitely some that would swim. Yeah, but I no, think it, I think people are wired differently. It's, yeah, it's interesting. I've had friends who have who've done that approach before, and then you know, nine months later, have been like, "I don't want to do this. It's not. It's, this is not. This is yeah. not what I want to do." And it's unfortunate because it puts people off. Um, some of the most successful practices that I have spoken to have taken a very slow, long approach. Um, I'm thinking of Tarek. Tarek. Um, and Merlin, I think that's the name, I can't remember, a practice in London. And him and his business partner, they spent about 10 years mm-hmm. of whilst working for top practices. They want, I think they were both working at Will Allsop in London. But they spent 10 years of doing projects on the side. And, you know, they built up those cash reserves. They built up the experience. They were working in a practice as well that was encouraging of them to do the business. 
um and that kind of understood and was you know tolerant of them moonlighting and you know a lot of i think a lot of practice owners a lot of wise practice owners i was chatting to the ceo of mancini duffy recently in in new york and he said if you've got an employee who can run a business or do their own freelancing work on the side and it's not interfering with their work you want to hold on to them because that's a serious amount of skills right there that they're learning outside and they've got some serious organizational time management skills to be able to do that. So he was like, we, we, we encourage that. We want to see people doing that. And, and so uh, Tarek, you know, they spent 10 years building up their, their practice. They built up the reserves and then they, you know, they waited until the business was actually, you know, it had, it had enough there for them to move from one paycheck to the next paycheck and it was quite comfortable and they're in a very good position now as a business and they're doing fantastic work and you know it was a slow focused uh, concentrated effort the other thing i see practices do is i mean I, one of the bits of advice actually is like i think a lot particularly in the business world we the having a job is bad mouthed a lot and it's a really good thing um, and being in somebody else's practice and learning in somebody else's practice, other, um, somebody else's expense is a really, really powerful thing if you've got the right environment. Um, I've seen many brilliant practices come out of offices like Roger Stirk Harbors and Partners where perhaps there's a team of people that have been working together and they've delivered a couple of major projects together and then perhaps there's an inkling of a project outside. One of them goes off and kind of collects it and then they come back and they say, I want all you guys to come and work on this project. And then they might take four or five people. They've already had six, seven years of working together and they literally, they're lifting, you know, their same software, the same business systems. And if there's, then there is gracious ways of doing this with your business, with the business that you work for. And a lot of the practices that have come out of Rogers have been, Rogers have been very supportive of, of that and have given advice and mentorship, which I, you know, again, it's a sign of a great, of a great business. If you're, if you're helping and supporting employees leave and set up their own businesses. Um, but that's a really powerful way because you can set up, there isn't, there isn't this steep learning curve. You're almost like a little, you know, most big practices operate like a series of smaller practices anyway. And it's almost like one of those smaller practices kind of, you know, siphons itself off and becomes its own entity. Um, and again, again, uh, kind of the age you start at as well has a big indicator of success. There's lots of young architects setting up straight out of university. Now that's great, but it's, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of risks involved with that. There's a lot of stress involved with that. But there's on the flip side of it, there's energy, there's youth. There's like, we don't care. Let's all sleep in the same in the same room and we can work 20, 20 hours a day and we love it. And, you know, there's that, there's that. Or there's setting up when you're, you know, practice as a 45-year-old, you've got some serious experience there. You're You're much more likely, the statistics indicate when you're kind of in your 40s and you set up a business, particularly a professional services business, um, you know, you've got a way higher chance of success and making it work. And, you know, you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of competencies and a lot of skills. And again, doing it with a team or doing it with people that you've already been working with professionally for a number of years, that just makes life a hundred times easier. The hardest thing to do is to jump into setting up your own business alone and with no cash. 
It's just that's true. I'll, so, I'll so difficult. That's the way I did it. So yeah, that wasn't that much fun. And I, but I did learn a lot about not having any money, and so I can appreciate that much more. And like you said, learn about business and actually appreciate that. Whereas had I never been struggling, then I might I'd have a different outlook on life, probably. Yeah, but yes. it's no fun. I do recommend having some money. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it's interesting as well. Um, I spoke with um, Tom Kundig, Olsen Kundig, about a year ago. And he and other big-name architects have spoken about the importance of those first few years. He said when he joined um, Jim Olsen that the business was, a, was, a, was in rocky ground. Jim Olsen had been practicing for a few years previously, and they had, you know, they had a they had a fair bit of debt and things were precarious and he joined on and they didn't really have that much work and for the first seven years they just focused on building those financial reserves and the the thinking was that if we build the financial reserves the financial reserves are equated to the philosophical design reserves right and so what he meant by that was the it, by having the money and focusing on on building up that kind of foundation that state that stability allowed creativity to flow much easier it allowed us to start thinking about the kinds of projects that we wanted to do and that in seven years time and we've got a year's worth of funds in the bank we can take more risks with the design that we want to do we can take on projects that might be a bit more precarious we can take on projects where we can actually flex and do something a little bit more more ambitious um, and it was underpinned by that kind of financial sensibility. Again, the lesson the lesson was learned in the hard in the hard way. First off, of kind of going broke and being right on the end. So there is a lot of value to going broke. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a. I don't. I don't think there can really be a, a better stated point than that because you know in, anybody that's that's listen to any of my build your brand stuff, the webinars or the podcast or the course or any of that stuff, or, or even outside of that, you hear me talking about your ideal client a lot, you know, and not mm. this idea of not putting any resources to towards pursuing anyone, but your ideal client, if someone else comes, that's a value judgment. You can say yes or no, but, but I also understand as I'm saying that, and I'm preaching that, that, on some level, that's a little bit of a romantic ideal, right? And if you have cash reserves, it gives you the ability to say, well, no, you know, we're only going to focus on these types of clients, these types of projects, et cetera. If you're desperate, that can change that decision-making process a lot. So I think that's a, I think that's a really great point. Uh, if you've just joined us, this is the Entree Architect Context and Clarity Live session for Thursday, February 11th. Our special guest, uh, Catherine and I, are with Ryan Willard, the host of the Builder, not the Builder brand, <laughs> the Business of Architecture UK <laughs> podcast, uh, also a London-based architect. We're talking about um, his experience, and, and really we're, we're uh, getting to tap into uh, how many how many interviews have you done now? How many people have you interviewed? I know on it's, last day look you were like 122 or something. Yeah, episode so I've, 122. I've, I've published about 120 on the BOA UK website. I've got a, a, a large chunk published on the BOA site, and I've probably got about 
close to 50 or so in the vault waiting to be published. Wow. Yeah. Close, close to 200. That's amazing. Yeah. One of the things I love about these types of conversations is it just lets me sit here and learn, right? Learn from other people, learn from experiences. So of that 200 or so, whatever, wherever that number is, what are, what, we could take this in a couple of different ways. What are either, and you can decide either who were your favorite people to interview or if you don't want to name people, what are your favorite one or two or three takeaways? My favorite people to interview are often, I mean, I was saying earlier about, you know, the success of architects when they hit their forties and, you know, the young practices. I really do love the, the young architects who are doing something radically different Mm. and even like going outside of the architecture industry and taking the skill sets of the architect and creating an entirely new business. Um, one person that springs to mind is Safia Qureshi. Um, she's a, she's a, she's a few, I think she's a few years younger than I am. She must've been a sort of mid thirties. Um, and she set up her own practice, like driven entrepreneurial, super talented. She started off her practice and, uh, she did the kind of, you know, nice, nice, renovations of Notting Hill apartments in London and perhaps did a few small extensions but part of that kind of startup discovery phase she was entering lots of different types of competitions and she entered a competition for a reusable cup or she came up with an idea for a reusable cup and it I'm not sure if it won the competition but it did it did well but it sparked off an idea in her mind and seven years later or so She's got a company that has, you know, investment venture capital backing. They've got a reusable cup that's got a a digital um, kind of tracker in it, and it's kind of like the idea in India where where you give your where you'll get your chai given out in those metal cups, and then somebody comes around and recollects them, and then they get washed and they're kind of centralized. And it's it's a very simple idea, but it's a packaging idea. And it's the idea to get rid of, you know, um, re- disposable cups, those kind of crappy cups we all put our coffee in. Um, and she's, you know, she's taken it beyond just an idea. And, you know, and again, there's architecture in the way that she's been thinking about it in terms of infrastructure and mass scale and looking at this problem of of waste and single use plastic and you know, how can we, you know, what's the, you know, how can I design this? What's a design solution for it? Um, there's a just wonderful marketing movement that she's kind of created around it and had people enrolled and then the investment and the business aptitude that she has. Um, and, you know, just before COVID, I know that they had, they had some experiments where they were rolling them out in some McDonald's, um, you know, a couple of, and in London, they've been used, as I understand, in some pretty large office developments where, you know, a few thousand of these cups have been deployed in offices and, you know, there's, you know, it kind of, you can track them so you can know where all the cups, cups have been left. It's very simple technology, but it's, it's great. And it's, it's a movement. Yeah, and that's an example of an architect solving a problem. Cause I do think that's one of our gifts really that we, but so the whole idea behind the numbers is that they track where it is in the building. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. And you get little you get little reminders on your phone if you haven't returned your cup or 
you know, people can go and find where the cups are and they all get, they all get recollected and they get washed at the end of the day. And then you go back in the next day where you can hold on to the cup for a while and get it refilled with your coffees. Yeah. And so the, and the, and the idea is as well that, um, you know, that companies like Starbucks or McDonald's start using these cups and you get kind of reward points for bringing the cups back or for reusing them. Yeah. I think there's, and there's, there's a number of different sort of, in, in, you know, incentive schemes that have been employed with how the, cup has been used and i'm sure by now it's gone through a whole load of other iterations where the technology has evolved and the the premise of it has you know has gone further but i love that that's just so exciting and you know that's a that's a real scalable business that's gone architecture into packaging and again you can see the architectural thinking behind it and the power of design and again with with the technology that we have today this is where architecture is really valuable, I think. Like, you know, students are coming out um, with, an, with an incredible array of thinking tools and design tools and technology at their fingertips. And we don't have to, we don't have to be designing buildings. Buildings is just one part of architecture. It's only one, one kind of problem. Um, and as designers, as architects, we can apply that thinking to all sorts of different problems. And when there's a problem to be solved, there's a business. Yeah, that, that's uh, that, that's a great point. I was I've kind of been keeping one eye on the on the comments as, as they go by, and it is interesting to see the different ways that. And, and that example is fantastic. The cups. It was also making me think about my uh, one of the students in my pro practice class. I challenged them all to come up with a business plan, you know, startup idea, and. Um, Evelyn Lee commented, she's, uh, Evan, Evelyn's at Slack. You, you may know Evelyn. She's a podcaster as well, co-host of Practice Disrupted. But, but it, when you're talking about that project, the cup project and taking on investors, it reminded me of Evelyn's um, comment here where she says that uh, a lot of architects that have moved into the tech world are bootstrapping and finding financing and making it work. They're learning by doing it's a very pragmatic approach that she thinks that that traditional architects could take as well. And, you know, mm -hmm. one of the things that comes up when we have these kind of conversations, startup, first year, whatever it is, is somebody will ask. And I made this comment the other day when we were talking about startups. I think one of the first things that you need to do as you're preparing for it is get rid of as much debt as you can mm -hmm. so that you're you know, it's, it's one less, it's one less thing that you've got to pay out every month. Right. But a question will always come up. Do I take on loans? Do I take on investment? Uh, and of course the answer is always going to be, it depends, but this model that you're talking about and, and Evelyn is, is, uh, referring to as well, I think is interesting. You, you sort of, you bootstrap and you figure it out and you learn by doing, and then when it's appropriate, then maybe there is a, um, you know, some sort of loan or, or VC model. There are a few of those out there now for design firms. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, I mean, there's all sorts of interesting incubators around these days who, you know, who kind of, you know, are looking for these kinds of ideas. And if you've got half decent ideas and you can, you can present well and you're committed to it and you're willing to kind of go through lots of rejections. There's, there's money, there's people there who are wanting to invest in bright ideas that can be scaled. 
Yeah, and, yeah. and I really think architecture school, architecture school is very good at that. It's producing thinkers that are outside that aren't just, you know, confined to the realm of buildings, but where, where, where it fails or where the missing pieces is, is sometimes in architecture school, we get very caught up in avant-garde thinking or the artistic creative expansive ways and thinking about projects which are completely unfeasible um and then there's no bridge if you like to a real life problem or to yeah. or to a um you know to something that's commercial yeah. and that's yeah. that's that's again that's interesting but i think the you know the young generation the youtube generation when I mean, you look at tiktok how there's so much good information on that there really you know? is a lot of really good life hacks. I mean, right? three of the best right here, you know, like. <laughs> Maybe two, but, uh, but but we're almost to the top of the hour. So we, we've got to address TikTok. Yes, of course. Those, those of you, um, first of all, if you're not on TikTok, don't be afraid of TikTok. It's not just Well, if teenagers. you have four hours a day, you should go for TikTok. Otherwise, uh, yeah, it's a little okay. bit of a thing. But there's okay. a ton of information. But, that that that's fair. That's fair. You you may that lo- you may lose a significant amount of life. Amount of life. <laughs> However, uh, Am- if you ambitions have- and dreams are sucked away through watching <laughs> watching yeah. stuff that you have no idea about what's happened with your time. A, a dopamine hit every every sixty seconds is incredible. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but if if you've shied away from it because you've heard it's all dancing and music, it's yes, it started out as as um, what was the original name of it? Um, musically, musically. Thank you. Uh, it started out that way. There's still a lot of that there, but their algorithm is out of this world. And so you swipe past the dances a couple of times, and you're not going to see them anymore. You can find architects on there. You can find uh, other professionals on there. And I've got to say that our special guest today, Mr. Ryan Willard, was recently judged as one of the top 10 architecture influencers on TikTok. So congratulations Thank for that. Thank you. And, this, is, and, this is one of my crowning... I not know that. I didn't know that, Ryan. Crowning accomplishments. <laughs> Are you getting free things in the mail yet? No, not yet. I mean, I, I made a bit of money out of TikTok from the Creators Fund once, one month. Um, can I? Is it rude of me to ask how much you made? I made, you- I made 126 pounds. Wow! So that's not. I mean, that's not. Uh, it's not, it's all right. <laughs> it's it's 126 pounds more pounds than you had the have. month before. But maybe not time to quit your day job. No, no, I don't. I don't think so yet. Well. Let me ask you this though: um, what's what's your goal? What's your goal on TikTok? Fun, fun. Just like it, I, I found it such a refreshing, a refreshing place to experiment with content ideas, and you know, I kind of went on there. I mean, I started playing on it when it was when it was musically in 2016, and it was just it was like really young kids just doing lip syncing karaoke videos. And I was like, don't know about this. I, I, I joined in and did a kind of bad lip sync to Prince. Which, if you scroll, if you scroll down on my feed, there's some embarrassing stuff there. I am going to I've, find that. I've tried, I've tried the dancing. I've given it a go, but I just like the, 
you know, I like the the environment of TikTok. Like it's a place where you can get away with very fast content production. You can reuse stuff very easily. Um, things can go viral quite easily. There's a there's good organic reach on it. I've made some great friends um, on TikTok. You know, you know, I've I've met some really interesting people. Those conversations turn into interviews for the podcast, or they turn up turn into just you know good way of networking. Um, so really, the the kind of goal with it is to just to keep enjoying making it. It's a place for experimentation. Um, it's a place for kind of honing those storytelling skills. You know, the kind of how to capture yeah. somebody's attention, how to keep them engaged for 15 seconds. There's a lot of like craft that goes into kind of getting that to, to work um, and having something that people are going to be interested in. And I'm and again, I'm I'm very warmed by the fact that people have a real interesting like there's a lot of people who follow me are not anything to do with architecture. And that for me is really special. And one of my missions is to help was to have people understand and, and to communicate about architecture and architects. You know, my work at Business of Architecture is all about that, like to empower architects to be able to do that. Um, and for me to be able to talk about buildings and the built environment and tell stories about how buildings are made and the, you know, the, the kind of history behind them. It's, it's interesting. There's a there's a hunger for it. People want to know. People want to know about architects. Yeah, all my yeah. all my clients at um, Business of Architecture. I did a marketing course last Easter, and I had all my everyone who all the architects who were on that course got onto TikTok and started making TikToks. Nice. And but what was what was lovely was you know we had Torsten. Uh, he did a video which just showed a drawing of a. a a building facade where they had drawn every single individual brick and it was a beautiful drawing. And I think the sound got canceled or taken off, but the video still got like 150,000 views. Hmm. And it was just one of those really honest insights or moments behind the scenes of an architecture practice that us as architects might take for granted and don't think it's that interesting and whatever, it's just a drawing. Whereas other people were like, Oh, whoa. I had no idea that's what architects do. Like they thought about every single position of a brick and like they've selected certain kinds of bricks for certain corners and they the bricks change texture and the bricks have got numbers in them and they indicating, you know, this, this kind of thought our, our clients, the general public don't often see it. So for that as a really accessible way of educating and allowing um, the stories behind architecture to come out and to have clients be involved in that story. I think it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful, playful, non-pretentious platform. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what uh, I like about uh, it. But, you know, even just the skills that it takes to do the TikTok thing, that's one reason I was drawn to architecture because it's not just one thing. There are so many and an owning your own business as well. It's just a dozen different things you need to know and angles you know, so that's, yeah, that's it. I think that's a, I think that's a great point. And, and I, I also, I love the fact that it, there's very little for, for most people, there's very little expectation of a really polished finished product. You know, it, it is experimentation and it, it is about delivering value in, in whatever form that takes. I, I, I enjoy the platform. 
Um, but I, I, I realize that we've bumped up to the hour now and, oh, and yeah. uh, I want to be respectful of your time and let you get some sleep, but Thank let you me so ask much. you, um, Actually, I've got two questions for you. One one of them will be real short at the end, but I've one last question. Um, if if you ran into somebody today that said, "Hey, I've I've just started. I'm in my first year, um, starting out on my own firm." Mm. What's your number one piece of advice for them? That's a tough tough question, and it would be and it would be very much based on what their particular. Sure. Um, circumstances are and what they were looking to what they were looking to accomplish but i would i would actually invite people to treat that first year like to allow themselves to discover something right for allow themselves to kind of you know yeah you're gonna have to make you you know if you you're gonna have to make money right it's you're gonna go hungry if you don't and if you're clever about it you might have some money in the bank if you're super committed to it you might have let go of the expensive flat that you're renting out in london and you've moved out into the suburbs a little bit and you've reduced all your costs and that you know particularly if you're young and don't have response so many family responsibilities for example that 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 first year can really be about you know discovering something like discovering who is it that you want to serve What's the problem that you want to solve ultimately, right? This is the, the kind of the, the big mindset shift is like, okay, actually this is now we're in, we're in a service orientated business. We're now sol- solving problems for people. Like what are the problems that, what are the problems that I'm best at solving? Like, first of all, do a, do a talent audit. What am I best at? What am I really good at? What do I hate? What am I terrible at? Am I doing this alone? Who, who can help me? Right? Who do I need to be partnering with? If it's anybody who's doing it by themselves, that you know, find find a partner, find a collaborator, collaborator. Even if it's just a room full of other architects working by themselves, or a community like this, you know, that's you. You got to get that community and start sharing the ideas, sharing the stress, and play. That that, that is that's really great advice. All of it, all of it, right there. So. Um, we're again, we're right at the top of the hour, just past the top of the hour. And so I know that some of you have to jump off and, and, and run away. And we really appreciate all of you being here and being part of this conversation. I've seen scrolling on the side there, lots and lots of first year experiences and advice. And uh, we appreciate everything that you've shared. The great thing is that on all of these platforms, Inside the Entre Architect Facebook community or Entre Architect community Facebook group over on LinkedIn, you'll have to find me on LinkedIn. Send me a connection request on LinkedIn. I'm happy to accept all of those. Uh, you can find the uh, the LinkedIn live version. Uh, you can go over to the Entre Architect YouTube channel. You can go over to the Entre Architect uh, Twitch channel. You can find the recording. You'll see all of these these uh, comments, so you can catch up and and. Um, check out that part of the conversation, which is really intriguing about these, these platforms. Um, again, we're here with Ryan Willard today. He's the host of the Business of Architecture UK podcast. He's also a London-based architect. And Ryan, I, I just have one last question before we let you go. And that is, you mentioned earlier that you had been in a band for a long time. Oh, goodness. <laughs> that is, what that was is- the name? 
second question. <laughs> it's an easy one. What was the name of your band? It's a, it's a, it was called, you ready for this? It was it was a bizarre name called Mayanark. Mayanark. Yeah, and it was like again this this was a ba- this was a name that caused the band arguments for a decade of <laughs> of like what is what does this name mean? Does it rhyme with Ryan and uh, you're an architect? So it was, it was the, the 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 lead singer. It's a really uninteresting story. We made, we made up another story, right? And and I used to tell people that it was an ancient Nordic ship for the gods to travel across the universe, and they would create the universe in the Mayan arc. Yeah, but it's really like Mike and Ryan and... Well, yeah, ba- basically it was the lead singer's middle name was Maya, mm-hmm. right? And he had a cat called Noah, Noah's Ark. <laughs> and he put he put the two together and you got Mayan Ark. And <laughs> that, was, that was the avant-garde wow. name. That, that was, it, it, it was a Nordic ship with a... Yeah, the head of a cat on the front. Yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. That's a great story. Both versions of the story are are great stories. Uh, <laughs> I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, we're going to get wrapped up here in a second, but I want to um, want to remind you if if this is your first time with us, I host these conversations every weekday at four p.m. Eastern inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. On Thursdays, it takes this format where Catherine is my co-host and we bring on a special guest, which we're honored to have Ryan with us today. Uh, Every other day of the week, you're just stuck with me inside the Facebook group. But we do tackle one topic every every day, and I do think they are the need to know topics for the success of small firm architects. And tomorrow's topic and as usual, I will announce this topic officially inside the Facebook group as early as I can tomorrow morning. But tomorrow's topic, we're going back to our mini-series on digital and social media platforms for architects. And we're going to talk about, not, it's not so much a social media platform, uh, but it is definitely digital. We're going to talk about your Google business page. And so my question is, how many of you have actually set up and populated your Google business page, because it's one of the easiest, cheapest, it's free, um, most effective ways for you to be found by people that are looking for architects in your area. So we're going to talk about that tomorrow. Do you uh, want so, to find you, Jeff? That's a big question. Do you want those people who are Googling for an architect in your area to actually well, find you? Well, you know what? If you're not standing out on the sidewalk with a little note card drawing stick figures, <laughs> you're going to need to do something. <laughs> there, there it is. So, so join us for that tomorrow. Uh, and again, I say this every evening as I wrap this up. I really appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for all of your comments. I have no idea. There's just been comments scrolling the entire time we've been talking. So I thank you for everything that you've poured into this conversation. Um, thank you for making contacts and clarity a thing without, with all, without all of you building this community, we wouldn't be doing this episode simulcast like this today. We wouldn't have the context and clarity podcast that comes out a uh, very short form podcast that comes out every morning. And I wouldn't be hosting the context and clarity coffee edition on clubhouse, by the way, uh, if it weren't for all of you. So, uh, I thank you for all of this. Uh, I thank all of you for this. And um, 
my encouragement to all of you is take care of yourselves, take care of those that are close to you, uh, stay well, keep everyone safe, and take a little bit of time to rejuvenate and breathe a little bit tonight and come back again strong tomorrow. Ryan, we really appreciate you. Thanks my for pleasure. being with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. I have one more burning question. What did you play in your band? What do you? Play? I, I was the guitarist. Okay, we'll look that up. We're looking on YouTube right now. Oh, there's there's yeah. some really embarrassing videos up there. We'll like, find them. There's some. <laughs> we'll, we'll find them. I'm secretly really of proud of it, although you know, like. <laughs> I understand. Very good, very good. I, I I really appreciate learning that about you, Ryan. <laughs> um, and with that, fantastic. Thank you all. Um, again, this is Context and Clarity for Entree Architect. Um, we'll do this again tomorrow, and then we'll be back again. Oh, how could I forget this? We'll be back again next Thursday, back to the simulcast format next Thursday. Mike Michalowicz, the author of Profit First, of Fix This Next, as well as a number of other books, will be our special guest next oh, week. So start, start thinking about uh, what questions you would have for Mike. And uh, in the meantime, check out the Business of Architecture UK podcast. And uh, Ryan's got some fantastic, like uh, over 120 published right now on that site, more on the Business of Architecture site. Um, like I said at the beginning, Ryan is a fantastic storyteller and interviewer. So check that out. Give, them, give him some love over there. And um, with that, I'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everybody. Really appreciate you. If you want more of the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every weekday, subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. And if you love content like this, check out Gable Media. It's the multimedia network for people that care about the built environment, and it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community and your practice and how you can support those around you. I'll be back here again tomorrow. And in the meantime... I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook. The link is entrearchitect.com slash group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. I host context and clarity conversations. And we take these topics, the topics that you hear about in this daily podcast episode, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time so we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most no matter what your context is. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris 
owners of Level Studio Architecture are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.